Hey, so it's Joe here, founder of the Renaissance Men Network of Passion Projects and the host of the Renaissance Men Podcast, helping you live passionate and free and fulfilling life. Um, here is Kaya McDonald. He went on a journey. He wanted a house, and he went on a journey trading one red paperclip for a house. Now, this is a guy who's ambitious as fuck, one of the most ambitious people, and one of the most um, able and willing to take a leap of faith people. And I think that's really inspiring. One thing that comes to living a passionate lifestyle is to be able to take those leaps of faith, to be able to not exactly know what's going to come up, but do it anyway. And I think that's awesome, meeting people that are willing to jump over the edge, not knowing what's going to catch them, but having faith that they will be caught and that they will be safe. And a lot of times that strong, certain belief of something will create it. So he ended up trading that paperclip for a broken doorknob, for a camping stove, up and up and up, at one point to a van. He traded that van for a lunch with Alice Cooper. Might have been something in the middle, I'm not entirely sure. Traded that for a snow globe. Traded the snow globe to a Hollywood director for a part in a uh, Hollywood movie. Then he traded that part in a Hollywood movie for his eventual house in uh, Canada. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy this. He's written a book about it since and has a group to, that helps entrepreneurs um, build up their stuff and follow their passions. Fascinating dude. I gave a little bit longer intro for this because this guy needs a little bit more of a recognition for his fascinating, um, you know, really lifestyle and, and philosophy and ability to jump into the unknown. Without further ado, short intro and then my interview with Kyle McDonald. How's it going, everybody? This is Joe, the founder of the Renaissance Man Network and the Renaissance Man Podcast. I'm the host of that. I wanted to share with you the intentions for this podcast and lead you into the content so that you know exactly what to expect and what to focus on. I want to help people live like a Renaissance man. Now, and nowadays, people either tend to be uh, a little bit okay at everything without direction, or they tend to be super focused on one particular career. But the art of being a renaissance man, free to do whatever he likes, but dedicating his life to the mastery of several things, and understanding that self-development has an infinite ceiling. That art has been lost, and so I want to help get that back into the world where people can become great mathematicians, become great uh, athletes, become great... Um, um, craftsmen, become great travelers, become great writers, become great at many things that inspire and make you feel uh, uh, like a capable and well-rounded man. Um, Self-actualize. There are values that I hold dear to my heart and that I hold dear to being the, the ideal of being a renaissance man, which is living with a sense of passion and curiosity and a hunger for growth, experiences, and knowledge. So I interview people that do these things. I interview people that are, in, that are good at something where I can share the things they're good at. I also talk about these values on discussion episodes. So please go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already, or if you would like to hear the content to see if you want to subscribe, I totally understand, and you can listen to it and then decide afterwards. It's your choice, um, and that is one of the easiest ways to support the podcast 
without further ado, here is today's episode. Kyle, how's it going? Good, man. You? Great. I just want to let you know I'm recording this call. Sure. Does it sound good? Yes, it does. Um, just want to also make sure you're okay with me publishing this online. Yeah, no problem. You, you have my permission to publish it. Great. Appreciate it. Just got to get over those uh, annoying little, uh, what do you call them, rituals, I guess. Um, funny thing, yeah, though. I, I, legal. <laughs> totally. Funny thing, though. Uh, Kyle's my brother's name. I think I told you that. Oh, yeah? Yes. So this interview is dedicated to Kyle MacMac and Kyle Bogoff. <laughs> totally. Um, so I met you the other week um, at the Mark Conference at Rutgers, New Brunswick. And um, I had seen you the year before, and uh, I don't believe I spoke to you, but you have a very interesting story and a very interesting business card. Um, so I'm curious, how did the paperclip come into play in your life the the paperclip itself or the kind of like the full story well just the paperclip and then uh, whatever you want to say about it uh in 2005 i was i was doing some writing i was sort of had done a little bit of travel writing just some short stories mostly sort of um autobiographical stories of traveling just various places Gotcha. And I, I, I'd read a few books of people that had had done, obviously, some travel writing. Mm-hmm. But other people who sort of like this guy named Dave Gorman and another guy named Danny Wallace mm-hmm. and another dude named Tony Hawks. And they're all, they're all actually from in- England. Mm-hmm. One guy had hitchhiked around Ireland with a fridge and one guy had sort of found a bunch of other people um, with, with his same name and just sort of had these yeah. bizarre adventures. Real travel quick. Adventures. I don't want to interrupt, but how do you hitchhike with a fridge? Well, you got to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should. I guess I should. All right. I'll let you go. I, I would say it was a bit of a gimmick. It was kind of more of a bet and stuff like that. But that's kind of the point. And these guys did these travel adventures and they sort of did these travel adventures. But they weren't just like, hey, I really want to go to these places on the map. It was, they were some semi-random. Mm-hmm. Semi-random travel adventures. And I kind of... Had been playing when I was a kid. We played this game called Bigger and Better, and you would just sort of go around the neighborhood and trade with people, essentially small things, trying mm-hmm. to get bigger things. And I kind of looked around on my desk, and the first thing I saw was a red paperclip, and I just sort of started doing little bizarre experiments with red paperclips. So huh. before I even traded the paperclip for the house, I actually had a bunch of red paperclips. So the paperclip that I traded for the pen, for all those things. That all sure. really happened. But I also had other paperclips. But I just sort of said, I'm going to just stick with a red paperclip and just see where this goes. And <laughs> well, I just decided to use a red paperclip as my, like, uh, you could call it branding, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was just really an experiment. It was like a paperclip experiment. <laughs> um, but one of those red paperclips became the, I guess you'd call it famous red paperclip. Did you ever decide... Do you ever feel, like, obligated when you started trading your paperclip for other things? 
for for you to finish or was it always just like oh I'm just curious I'm not sure where this is gonna go um I, I had all kinds of ideas I was like well I could just get a box another box of paper clips and start over and mm-hmm. start have a hundred of these going at the same time but I kept the paper clip for the pen for the doorknob for the camping stove trade pure and it all really happened as a one linear set of trades <laughs> and I know I, I never felt like I had to finish it it's just that people were asking like what why are you doing this what, what's your goal and so i just kind of made my goal a house and then it the universe sort of formed around that goal i guess you'd say yeah interesting interesting um so yeah for all of our listeners what was what is the final progression of items for those who don't know i'm just going to um we've talked about it a bit i'm just going to uh, outlay the story um in plain english uh, this this guy Kyle um, Kyle McDonald McDonald right? Yep. Because yep. you say Mac Mac and I'm not sure if that's your last name, but then I realize it's not. <laughs> um, Kyle McDonald uh, decided to trade paperclip uh, for other things and eventually um, decided to trade it for a house with a lot of stuff in between. And we traded up and up and went around the country of you know America and of Canada. Um, you live in Vancouver, correct? Yep, I'm in Vancouver. Yep, so he lives in Vancouver and he got a house there eventually from the trade. And I'm wondering what the uh, progression of items was from that paperclip to the house that you have now. And then uh, paperclip, pen, doorknob, camping stove, electric generator, uh, a keg of beer, <laughs> snowmobile, trip for two to a town named Yak, BC, mm-hmm. a, a giant box truck, a recording contract. A year of rent in a house in Arizona, an afternoon with Alice Cooper, a kiss snow globe, a paid speaking role in a Hollywood movie, and then I traded that for a house located at 503 Main Street in Kipling, Saskatchewan. (laughs) Wow. Um, I remember you were telling the story and it went from uh, an afternoon with Alice Cooper to a snow globe. And I was, I was confused um, about why you would make that choice, and then you explained it. Um, any chance you could explain it for our listeners? I can. It's it's sort of loopy in the sense that, um, well, I had an afternoon with Alice Cooper. I was getting to that point itself was ridiculous. Anyhow, long story short is I had an afternoon with Alice Cooper, and I was um, offered. A bunch of random things for this afternoon with Alice Cooper. Like I, for each item I had, people would call up and offer all kinds of stuff. Like in some of these trade items, I had thousands of offers. But this guy called and he said, "Look, I'd really uh, we got to find a bit, way to make this work. I really want to get that afternoon with Alice Cooper. I am a concert photographer, and if I can get out there on tour, take some great pictures, it'll help me kickstart my my career as concert photographer." So I was like, "Perfect. You're the guy I want to trade with." We got to make a trade though. What do you got? So he made all, he came up with all these ridiculous, like, oh, I got those old rock and roll memorabilia. And I was just like, oh man, this is, I got to get something good. Like, and ask me with Alex Cooper, this isn't, this isn't exactly like a, a throwaway trade item. And then he said, yeah, I got a kiss, uh, autographed guitar. And I got a kiss snow globe. And he kept saying all these things. And when he said snow globe, it kind of triggered a memory because four months previous to this, this guy named Corbin Burnson had called me up and said, hey, I'm, my name's Corbin Burnson. I'm an actor in like a, a Hollywood. 
and I've done all these movies. You can Google me, you'll find me online. And I look, I'm making movies. I'd love to offer a role in one of my movies for whatever you got right now. What do you got? And I said, well, I got like a, a giant truck. He's like, ah, can't really use that. Well, you think you're gonna get anything good that we can make a trade for? And I said, well, I I don't know. Like that's the whole point. But you seem like a cool guy, so let's stay in touch. So we stayed in touch, and there was there was no planning or anything at all like this. But while we were keeping in touch, I'm like, who is this guy, Corbin Burns? And I never, I didn't know who he was really. Mm. So Corbin, I, I googled him, and on his Wikipedia page, it said he was a giant snow globe collector. <laughs> and I never brought it up. I just, it just was triggered in the back of my brain somewhere that this guy is snow globe. So when Mark said, I have a Kiss snow globe, it just, first of all, it sounded like a stupid trade for an afternoon with Alice Cooper. <laughs> then I remembered Corbin, because I'd been kind of not purposely looking for things to trade with uh, with Corbin, but I told him if something good comes up that you could use, then let's make a trade for sure. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, maybe I'll trade with him in six months or a year down the line when I build up a bunch of steam and it turned out that he needed the Kiss Snow Globe. So I told him, look, let's, Mark, I'll trade with you. And then I ended up trading with Corbin again. So it was the only trade I actually had um, lined up in advance. Mm-hmm. It was the only time I made a trade knowing I would make another one with that item. And, um, <laughs> people freaked out. People thought I'd like literally just thrown this whole project away or was a joke <laughs> or something. And, and then I did the movie trade and explained Corbin Snow Globe. And it, it clicked together in like a really bizarre way. But, <laughs> That's interesting. It happened on the fly. It, like it was one of these things that when you put yourself in a situation where you have an afternoon with Alice Cooper and you're entertaining yeah, offers from anyone essentially for that, these, these bizarre happenstances prop up. They 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 come out of nowhere, and it's, that's that's what I loved about this project. It was this engine for um, sort of like a serendipity machine in some ways. Yeah, it was cool. Crazy. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm I'm not really sure <laughs> where to go from there. I I know that snow globes aren't my thing. Although one time I did have a whole thing of keychains. Uh, by whole thing of keychains, I mean a box of keychains yeah. that were all linked together. Uh, my prized one was an Intel keychain that included an inlaid Pentium Pro processor. Um, <laughs> loved it, <laughs> loved it so much, and I would look at it because you could look, at, you could see the. Um, the iridescence of all the transistors on there. And, uh, oh, another one that I loved is, um, I need to find where these are. I think my dad has them in storage somewhere. Um, it was an Apple logo, but it was the old rainbow one from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that keychain too. Um, you never know, man. Like, you could use it again or you could maybe sell it for a hundred bucks and go do something crazy. That's the, that'd be the so cool. The bizarre thing is, I, I found a guy selling, this was like last year, six months ago. I found a guy selling an Apple Newton. I never oh, really geez. cared about that. Thing. <laughs> he was selling it for twenty bucks, and I'm like, okay, twenty. Well, you could you could get that for like you could flip it for like a thousand at least if it's still I working. Three hundred, nice. Hundred bucks US in twenty four hours, and <laughs> yeah, no, the, it worked fine. It had the original um, the manual and everything, and it's just these bizarre. These things happen all the time. It's That's just, a damn good deal. When you put yourself in the world of where these things are. Like, and you're and you're hustling. You're like, and I say hustling as a positive thing. Like yeah, of course. Making connections and, and building sort of value for people. Um, th- these things come out of nowhere. And then oh, trust starts, me, I understand what that. Happen. What starts to happen though is then people realize that you're doing this stuff, and they start floating all the stuff they don't want or the opportunities your way, and you just have to kind of kind of huh. grind on it. 
it's bizarre. Like the, the Paperclip Project was a, a year long uh, psychological rubbish sale. It was just people offering things, wanting things, trading things. There was, yeah. I had all the offers live on Just for fun. Yeah, and they, so people would come to the website and just follow along with the story, and then they would see an offer, and then they would see I took another offer from someone else, and then someone would go to that person and go, hey, I really like that truck. What, 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 what city do you live in? <laughs> I, I want to buy that. Oh, <laughs> it was just, uh, like, crazy. You know what? It was just like freelance Craigslist thing, yeah? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up the patch that you gave me with the red paper clip and, uh, on my blog and see what happens. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm just, I'm inspired by you, and I'm just going to be like, let's just do it and see what happens. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee if you wait, not much. That's the thing. I, I did kind of, like, push pretty hard to, to get this thing going, and once it started rolling, it was a bit easier. Okay. But, hey, um, that's, if, that's if a good, you have, like, good thing if, to do. That's something I realized that I never... I wouldn't say that I uh, planned on it or there was no premonition, but once it became a thing, once it became Mm. like, oh, this thing is happening, a lot of people wanted to be part of that thing. Either just whether it was following along, telling their friends or putting up trade offers or things like that. So that was that was fun. It's interesting enough that you get people intrigued. And I think that's that's what gets people to want to um, to go further is the intrigue. because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. It's unknown. I'm, I'm interested, uh, before you did the one-red paperclip, were you ever uh, free-spirited, just wanted to go go for it, that kind of thing? Yeah, like, 100% of the time. I, I mean, not, a, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not this sort of thing. I don't think it's cut and dry. I think with certain subjects, certain periods of my life, more than others. But, yeah, definitely, like, in the the upper echelon of just t- taking high risks on these type of things. That being said, though, I, I don't think you need to have a history of that or um, it guarantees anything. So people that are, you, you, know, out, you know, out there taking risks and all this, it doesn't guarantee success. And then people that maybe, quote unquote, haven't taken as many risks, doesn't mean, mm. that, doesn't mean they can't do it. So there's there's all kinds of things that I've never really done or taken a chance on that um, someone else will have. And they'll, they'll, just by order of doing whatever that thing is that, that scares them or they're they're unsure about they will have more success in that venture than than <laughs> someone who doesn't I, I don't really think i think personality i mean now i'm getting like okay so i'm getting interviewed about something i did a decade ago that was really fun to do mm-hmm. um and these things you kind of create a track record over time if you're doing lots but there's no reason if you if you want to experiment with this stuff i mean mm-hmm. the internet is so now you can live podcast video streaming um, all social media. This this is it's it's easier and cheaper to try these things out than ever before. In oh yeah, you know how much it cost me to create Project Unchained? Like I don't know, <laughs> twelve bucks, and that was to buy the domain. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, readers and listeners, you can start totally with a Twitter just go for it. Yeah, that's free. You can start with the Facebook page. You can a start free with WordPress. Twitter. Like, you can start with the WordPress, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I opted for like the paid WordPress, but at first, it was called chocolatechipcookiejoe.wordpress.com. That was 100% free. Uh, yeah. Then go. six months later, chocolatechipcookiejoe.com, which is now, I don't own that anymore because I thought it was super cheesy. Although I should probably buy it again because that was a good name. Um, and then uh, six months later after that, projectunchain.com. So it was actually free at first, except for the time. 
And um, it's interesting that you say the stuff that you do because when it comes to wanting to create something for the world, um, people feel like they have to have money up front. But in fact, I found that resourcefulness is a lot more important than resources. I, I would argue that resourcefulness breeds the success. The the resources, ones that are required, will show up when they're necessary. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that. Um, I just talked to a business coach last week, and he's been helping me um, with mindset stuff. And he was talking about um, in becoming wealthy, the way that you do it is you you think wealthy. So you think, oh, you know, I'm just going to buy this because I, I, I have the money. I just haven't found it yet. And then you realize that you can be resourceful with money in the meantime. So like his, his thought is super interesting. He's like, just imagine it's an escrow and that you're just paying for it from escrow. And then your resourcefulness is that escrow. It's, it's all about the resourcefulness is the non-zero sum part that creates the economy. It's just, yeah. I think a lot of people have this, have this mis, um, understanding of wealth and that it, there's a certain amount out there and we just need to spread it around. And, and you need to get your piece of the pie, but like, no, you can go grow more pie. That's, that's yeah. the biggest secret of any sort of success is that there's no pie. The pies are constantly being baked and you can bake your own and you can sell portions of your pie and you can sell your operation that sells portions of the pie and you can start new ones that there's, there's no make tarts. To this. <laughs> Instead. You can make tarts. <laughs> you know, people say money doesn't grow on trees. And uh, they're actually right. It it grows on vines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Money is a funny thing because it's like it doesn't physically grow on trees, but the idea that it grows constantly is very important to understand because I think in order to cultivate those vines that you just described, you need to understand like what the, the metaphor means. It doesn't mean that you just get cash showing up out of the branch. You can't wait around for it to provide you fruit. No. If you, even if you wait around for fruit to show up you could have a bad harvest the tree could die you could go hungry in the meantime so you constantly have to be tending to that mm-hmm. quote-unquote garden that that's the, that's the key and I, I think that um any form of resourcefulness is not only useful in, in generating the wealth in the first place but it also teaches you skills and I, I would argue that the best way to not be afraid is to walk into something blind and figure it out because you realize <laughs> yes. quite quickly that most things aren't that hard. And if it's, okay, if it's something dangerous, like, oh, I'm going to sail around the world in a dinghy, like, that's probably a bad move, but, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, there's yeah. a certain level of risk that I think is, I mean, literally. Even so, there are people who've done that. And there, there are, um, couples who are like, I'm going to sail my sailboat around the world. And they go and they do that. And they have a wonderful, wonderful marriage and happy times with, of course, times they have to work through. But that's the thing. You're, success you got to keep your mind on the ball you got to keep your mind under like having that image in, in your head and um and then you work towards that image it, you know ne- you're never really achieving that image because you're always moving your goal further because the important thing isn't where you're at it's your acceptance of the moment and the direction you're going in that's what I found works for me mind-wise is to just understand that, hey, my life is as it is, and here's the direction I'm going in. And it yeah. doesn't have to be so defined, like A, B, C, D, E, F, all 100% in stone. 
it's more so like, you know, some things, some of my goals are very strictly defined because I want to have a good direction. But that's the most important thing is defining your direction. Yeah, and not knowing exactly, like, I mean, I think it's good to wake up in the morning and if you have a, have a certain set of goals for the day, that's great. But if you close off the opportunity or what comes up as a surprise, that's, that can be a very dangerous thing. If you, True. you shut off the potential for um, unpredictable circumstances to, to provide a, a new addition to your direction, I think it, it can be very dangerous. So it's, I, that's, the, that's the thing that when people come up with a perfect plan, it's a perfect plan, but actually putting that plan into action won't go as you've imagined it to on the paper. So by being rigid to the plan, it can actually be quite detrimental to um, moving forward. And then you you might get to that point. Like Let's say you write down a plan on uh, how to achieve I don't know, something. Let's say you're trying to uh, build, a, build a house or whatever. Okay, you've yeah. planned it out, but then the price of lumber changes, and then the the weather is different than you expected in that area. So you're like, oh man, I got to redo this. It, it's always an ongoing process. So the plan works, but you have to be flexible to that plan. I, I'm a big believer in, I probably have a lot, of, the biggest problem I have is coming up with a plan in the first place, but the, the sort of going with the flow without being pushed downstream is really important, I think. Like you're going along with, with, your, with your direction, like you described, but on the way, there's going to be something that pops up. And, and yes, most of those things are distractions. Most mm-hmm. things that pop up along the way are distractions, but you don't know what the distractions are and you don't know what the sort of little keys that people are handing you that will unlock the new stuff. And I think that's the, and I don't think anyone has a sense for it. That's sort of the mystery of life is, yeah, I've got this direction, but I don't know exactly how to get there. I, I'm mm-hmm. going to go rent a car to go to this place where I'm going traveling somewhere and we're going to this beach. I've never heard of it. They've just described it to me. I'm going to rent a car. You don't know where the car rental place is. You don't know what kind of car you're going to rent. You don't really know how to get there, but you go and it always works out. And it usually works out better than you imagine. That's the whole point is that you fill in those blanks. Those are details. The, the mm-hmm. details are less important than the direction, I'd say, always. Interesting. It's yeah. very, it's fascinating. There's a, a class that I started uh, a couple semesters ago. It was called... Um, it was called A Hero's... Uh, a hero's quest, Harry Potter, religion, mythology, and um, th- that was basically it. It was mixed around a bit, but it was funny. Um, I-, I dropped the class because the professor had never read Harry Potter, and it was based on Harry Potter, <laughs> which is super funny. I'm like, wait, you haven't read Harry Potter, but all right. But um, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm done with this class. But um, it was about uh, this um, archetype of a hero's quest. In every society, there are stories that describe that uh, that that quest. You know, the 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 hero leaves the house, uh, leaves the home. People are scared. The hero goes into the world. Um, you know, goes into the forest, is scared, doesn't know where to go. Um, tries to find the direction, keeps going, um, finds it, is triumphant, uh, has a penultimate battle with the boss, and then comes home to share. Uh, you know, to people super excited and shares their. Uh, their story and their 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 information and everything and uh you know in today's society we are so connected we we don't we still do make tribes um but it's not as closed off as it used to be we we are we have access to information um, of almost anybody in the world if we wanted to um and so in our minds we're still doing that hero's quest of going into the forest and doing something new and coming back 
and um, sharing ourselves. And it feels like that's that's one of the things that is that is integral to, to humanity is that exploration, and and that's why this this archetype is so common. Yeah, I think that's kind of the secret is these these archetypes are sort of like you go to take a marketing class and they talk about like word of mouth marketing. They get really clinical when they talk about be um, remarkable and they use these sort of clinical terms. It's almost like turning marketing into psychology, which when you get down to a base level, it is. But the story of those things, the, the way that we perceive, process, and then share that information is based on those mm-hmm. archetypes. I, I didn't necessarily at all with the Red Paperclip Project set out to be one of those archetypes. But I mean, in Japan, there's a story called Wahasabe, Sho- Wahasabe Soji. And it's this kid who starts up with a piece of straw oh. and he eventually makes trades with people and turns it into a straw house. <laughs> Interesting. It's, just, like, it's crazy. a crazy story. And I got invited to go over to Japan and go on TV and they're like, this crazy like hour-long TV special about how there's this Japanese sort of traditional story, like a, um, I guess it's sort of like a fairy tale or a nursery rhyme of, of, in Japan, and I'm actually doing it. And so there's, <laughs> if you go and search Silent Doll Japan, Red Paperclip Japan, you'll find all these videos of this, this TV show. And what I'm trying to say, though, is that in their culture, they had that archetype already. So I was just sort of stepping up, and, and they found that really interesting. And, and we sort of have allegories to that here as well and I and I think as the paperclip project wore on and I mean wore on in the sense that it wore down to a sort of um, single point which was guy trades paperclip for house there is a certain archetype in there the rags to riches type thing the Mm -hmm. the person who who overcomes adversity to achieve something and I I know that might sound a bit egotistical to say it in those terms but I didn't realize that at the beginning and then as I heard people tell the story about this to others where I was interviewed, it became clear that there was a sort of innate desire that people wanted. They wanted the project to become something that mm. none of us really could put our finger on, but we all sort of had a sense. And I kind of flowed with that a bit. I, I actually, I felt a certain sense about six trades in out of, you know, I did 14 trades to get to the house. Mm-hmm. About five or six trades in when, when a lot of people were interested in it. I wasn't out there grinding and pushing. There was a sort of cultural pull to it and I think yeah. you see these people that become uh, famous or these projects that work or these songs or anything a lot of them fulfill a sort of in the future people are looking for that thing about six months away about three months away mm-hmm. and they've just they're locked into it or have semi reverse engineered that, that story that archetype to fulfill that essentially desire that everyone yeah. has innately in and I think it ties way back to tribes and and essentially like myths when you get down to it. That's because all all history we can record it now, but I mean these myths are essentially unchanged for the most part when you go way back. Totally. It seems like uh, when it comes to people that are successful, it's it's not just them. It's not nearly just them. It's a societal pull to it. It's a societal. Um, societal thing people are propping them up and uh, I, I feel like it's it's very difficult if not impossible for someone to do something on their own at a large scale because it, they have that that desire has to live in other people and they have to also support that um, and so it's it's important if, if you want to make your own success you have to understand that you have to understand that 
you can't just do it alone. You have to, even with a nas, even like say you're, for instance, I'm um, I'm dropping out of college after this semester, and I'm going into self-employment. Um, now I I have um, my blog. I have my I got, just got my first uh, client a couple hours ago for my social media marketing agency. Super super nice. excited to start working with this guy. Um, I met him a couple weeks ago at a craft fair. He's an artisan. He's a woodworker, and he makes amazing stuff. Um, so I, I'll, I'll, he he's agreed to it. All I have to do is draw up a contract, and we'll negotiate specific terms, and I'll sign it. Um, and um, I'm super excited because um, this is a wholly uncharted land. And um, it's interesting because my grandma called me afterwards because um, I called her the other day, and she was obviously trying to convince me to go back to school. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a great conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. In fact, it was quite positive. Um, but my, my family on all sides are scared for me because their job is to keep me safe. And that's what family's job is, is to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you start going on your own direction, you have to let go of that. And sometimes your family will, will try to, try to keep you home. Um, and sometimes your friends will try to keep you safe. And that's the thing. When you become successful, it's, it's interesting the dynamics in your life change because um, you're no longer you're no longer naive enough to be controlled. You're savvy enough to make your own direction, which means that you have to understand. You have to create trust in yourself. Um, you have to uh, believe in yourself, and you have to make sure that you can rely on yourself. Because if you have a direction and you're sure of it, and other people aren't, you either have to convince them or let them go. Or green, or just create. You know, if it's your family, create enough space to bring other things into your life that just don't cause conflict. If it doesn't seem that that it's resolving, um, and it, it's interesting because there are so many people I've found, um, and myself too, who are like, oh, you know, screw everybody who says no, and then <laughs> you don't have any support and you won't be able to achieve anything. I, I think that family is going to be there, so you have to, yeah, like you said, get along, and and you'll find that. I, I'm, I'm assured this that you will find that the opinions and the, the approach will change as you, you get more clients and you go along. I think the biggest the biggest thing is cultural. Like in your grandparents' generation or previous to that, people weren't going to colleges, so they they you know fought and worked hard and put in years, decades of their lives to make sure that their their kids and their kids' kids could go to school. And I think that mm -hmm. in the days of with a book and a lecturer, when you wanted to um, dis distribute information you had to physically go to that school so getting into that school building the school and then applying and getting into the school is very important and to a large extent many schools are still like that however on if you take a bus or a train half hour hour to school each day you can watch two lectures that this is for free on your phone and that's the that's the change <laughs> essentially in the last decade with yeah. iPhones YouTube and yeah social media sharing to find a curate that stuff but I mean I watch lectures all the time that are way better than anything I took at university and mm -hmm. I guess to get a piece of paper and formal guidance and all that sure there, there's something that that universities have and there's a lot of research there but the access to the information is not a public library card is not living in a university town it's having access to electricity now at this stage mm -hmm. and I think that's that's the big change and the necessity to go to a, a college or se post-secondary education institute to get access to that information is almost eliminated and and the risk of, of dropping out of school is way less than it was 
uh, a generation or two ago. But not only that is, I, I think there is um, in some in some occupations, in some um, uh, fields, there's a risk to going to school now because you'll you'll be locked into a one way of looking at things scenario. And mm-hmm. if you're ambitious and you know how to find a bunch of information and synthesize stuff and and sort of sift out the, the best from the, the, the worst, I think that having access to a much wider range of information will be more powerful than oh, yeah. being locked into a certain track. That's, yeah. that's my personal opinion. And I think it's starting to become apparent now more than ever. Yeah, especially with the wide range of ways that we can synthesize projects. You know, we can go on YouTube, um, create a free account, uh, get our phone, which we already have, and create videos, reach out to brands, get brand sponsorships, and make a couple thousand a month. Um, I there I know some people who do, who've done that. Now they have um, a simple pickup. They have a couple hundred million uh, views on all their channels combined. They have an academy, a Jump Cut Academy, which teaches people like you and me to build those YouTube videos and make money. They have Jump Cut Studios, which has several other channels. Um, they are uh, I think like mid twenties, about my age, and they make millions of dollars a year. This this is not uncommon, and you can start with essentially what you have, just because of all the resources that we have nowadays. It, it's quite it's quite fascinating how much we can do with so little. This stuff didn't even exist a generation ago. There was video editing. Like when I, I went to high school in the nineties, I was sitting in video editing class in nineteen ninety five on my birthday, the day that I turned sixteen. Mm-hmm. and got, went out to get my driver's license. I was sitting there, and there was two banks of video editing software for the entire school, 1,600 people. Mm-hmm. And you would have to book time, and you would record to VHS tapes. And then in previous generations, it was real to real, and there was no video, and there was no film. So it was better than anything that has existed. Yeah, or you, or you have a Super 8, and you cut the negatives. <laughs> but now, it's like, I could just record on my phone, edit on my phone, publish to YouTube, instead of showing it to the teacher or showing mm-hmm. it to the class. I can go into a room now and talk for a half hour on a subject, push publish, and very, very commonly, several hundred people will see that video within uh, a week or so. But there's other people out there that are doing this that are getting 50,000, 200,000, mm-hmm. 3 million views. If you if you think of it from an um, essay, writing an essay perspective, doing a project at school, the class might see your project, the teacher... My, you write an essay, it's the teacher assistant usually who grades it. There's one person in the world who you put in, you know, hundreds of hours into these course projects, even your master's thesis and stuff, nobody's reading them. The, the, <laughs> the, you're, you're, you're appealing to authority to, to get their expertise, and that's cool, but I think it's better to put it out public, make it, write a paper, do a video report, put it public, not, not necessarily for more views, even if 12 people view it. Um, and three of them give feedback. I think that's better than one specific person's feedback mm-hmm. or grade. And I think that that's the way things are changing. We're evolving into more of a mutually interactive society versus a hierarchical appealing to authority society. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, I was in um, an entrepreneurship class recently, um, and um, my professor, he, he was the mayor of a town nearby. He's uh, started and ran a bunch of successful companies 
Um, and I respect him because of his success. However, he teaches like this is the way it is, and I've had the experience, so I know. <laughs> it's frustrating because, yes, he's right. He knows, and he has the experience. But that said, um, it's entrepreneurship, and you can't do you can't be rigid in entrepreneurship. Um, you have to break the rules to be to be successful, and it's not even like a question. You have to break the rules to be successful. You have to find out the way it works to be successful because you're working. With no guarantee on something that you you need your own internal passion for, and you need your own internal flow for. And if people are like, "Well, this is the way you do it,"、um, it, it just doesn't work、uh, for for innovation and for entrepreneurship. What works is this free form, free flowing,、um, go with the flow type deal、uh, with the hustle that you talked about. And、uh, it's interesting that 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 we're talking now because it seems like we we both are talking about the same types of things. We're both on the same path, and it, it's I'm curious to、uh, to hear how that works for you in the future. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had projects. The paperclip project is easily the most famous or probably the most liked thing I've ever done. But the the、um, uh, constantly trying out new things is the way to do it. And I think one of the hardest things about entrepreneurship, which is Almost impossible to teach as a as a, a field. You kind of actually have to do it. But the only thing I think that you really need to teach from a entrepreneurial standpoint is、um, take more risks and don't be afraid. And I know those are like cheap throwaway lines, but it's true. Like if you think that something will magically happen and you're an entrepreneur, you, it won't.、Mm-hmm. It might at a very low degree, but you you have to get out there. You have to you have to like take the risk that it might not work, and it often won't. But、yeah, that's another thing. I understand that it will.、Doors. It won't. If you knock on a thousand doors, though, twenty、mm-hmm. are going to be great. Wow! Oh, cool! Yeah, let's work together. And five might be like long-term customers,、mm-hmm. but a hundred out of that thousand might go. Well, no, I'm not interested in this at all. But、mm-hmm. I know someone who is here. So here's another lead. It's a,、mm-hmm. it's an evolution. It's like you said. It's you have to go with your flow and your passion. It's it's never a guaranteed thing, but unless you try lots of things, it will never happen. I, I totally. That's one of the biggest things about entrepreneurship is that it it is teachable to the extent that you can teach the attitudes and the actions, but the actual、mm-hmm. um, you you can't teach the specifics. There's, there's no way like accounting and registering a business, and sure, those are specifics, but they 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 change too. Like in two years, you'll have different tax rates, and this city has different regulations, and. Oh, the internet's going to change the way this business works, and so it's constantly <laughs> changing. And I think it's really important to, as an entrepreneur, to just constantly take risks in the sense that you don't know if it's going to work, and when. And and that's the craziest thing. These great businesses are never envisioned from the beginning. They all, there's very few Amazon.coms and very few FedExes. These are、mm-hmm. these are almost sort of like a semi-governmental organization in their scale and scope. But、yeah. most businesses start. Amazon.com is set to become the first trillion-dollar business. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it was started. There's a whole. I mean, there's a bunch of theories behind Amazon. There's the the common story is that Jeff Bezos started the garage, but. There's a whole, there's a whole other story behind the scenes that、yeah. um, largely says that that's the common story, but there was tons of financial backing, and they they specifically did that to create the the、um, the founder myth that, that all web companies started, you know, in a garage. And yeah, well, some of them actually the did, like um, like Apple. Did,、yeah. But um, but some, some yeah,、did. yeah. I mean, like there there is an art to creating a brand story that's a, that's appealing, that's shareable, and that's that people love. And I mean,、yeah. you know, there's there's 
there's oh mark those are liars it's true but there's also not necessarily malevolent liars if that makes any sense <laughs> i think i think the key with um anything sort of internet based is the archetype of a uh, young ambitious not not necessarily poor but um had never had a success yet mm-hmm. started the business from their couch you look at like facebook you look at uh, google the google guys you look at jeff Bezos. whether or not they actually did start this from the garage or their dorm room isn't that important but what what's important is that that's the story mm-hmm. and it grew from there and i think that um, you're going to start to see a lot more of these with, with YouTube. Like most famous people on YouTube literally just started it from their bedroom or at their desk. And this, in human history, this has never been a thing where someone from their, from a room, not even having to leave their room, reached millions of people and became a successful entrepreneur from that location. Like you could maybe find some telemarketers who made lots of phone calls, but this is a, this is a new archetype and it's, and it's a it's a good one and it's successful and so we're, we're we're kind of in this mythology of entrepreneurs coming to going from a mad scientist going from a snake oil, oil uh, salesman going from a main street mom and pop shop to growing it into you know macy's or whatever these archetypes the internet is creating new archetypes and i think i, I think if you want to be a successful uh entrepreneur involving the internet it's it's, it's important to understand how these sort of archetypes work in the sense that um to be at the forefront because an old one one from from the 50s or 60s probably won't resonate now so mm-hmm. you start looking at like i started a business from my phone in uh i was sleeping in my van or something from my phone not that it has to be worse yeah or more rugged but i'm saying that using the least amount of technology to the highest degree is i believe an archetype David and Goliath. It it goes way back to that. Yeah. Like you're you're underdog. the small guy, the underdog um, that is going up against the giant. So you're. It's funny because, um, and I really do have to get off soon. But um, it's funny because the the um, most because I have to go to the re- the bathroom. But it's funny because war has been, and to a big extent, replaced by business. Yeah. That's our warfare. That's our current warfare. You find your trench mates. You find your business partners. You go to battle. You go to the stock market. You um, go against investors. You go. You 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 ally with investors. There there's betrayal. There's deceit. There's a there there are, there's a hierarchy. There's rulers. There's people that are respected. There's people that try to uh, manipulate and get into power. And because of where society is, where um, physical violence to a large extent, at least in our countries. Um, and some other countries, it's different. But in our countries, physical violence is um, is for the most part outlawed. Um, that 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 competition comes out in other ways, and that and that that way is business. Absolutely, and and it's one of these amazing things where it's not like I mentioned earlier, zero sum. You're not um, stealing war treasure. You're not you're not taking over land and treasure. You're actually no. resources. You actually create more. By, yeah, by there's no. Creating- technologies and businesses more than ever had and i think that's so it's like using the the positive aspects of warfare the the competition and the strategy and the the technological advantages and all these things that are have great spin-offs to a creation um wealth creation opportunity creation machine and and i like wholeheartedly um it's not that it's easier to do business today there's all like because there's more competition the, the ease at which what it is to start 
to try to test and to reach other markets is, is unparalleled, unprecedented in human history. So anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, um, it's really up to them. There's, there's any, in North, if you live in, you know, a free Western society and you want to do any form of business, you absolutely can. And I'd encourage anyone who has any ideas, even for just a project or a sideline, try it out. You never know. Sometimes most businesses that become successful started as a, as a sideline or a hobby and then people realize that they could generate enough cash to not have their day job. And that's, I, I, I encourage people, if you get to the stage where you are asking whether or not you should quit your day, day job, you should. And then you should mm-hmm. focus on, on that passion, on that sort of, that core of um, wealth creation, essentially. True. Very true. Um, I'm going to let you go and I would love you to keep in touch and I definitely will as well. Um, I'll send you the SoundCloud link once I've edited it and put it up. And I will also, um, I think there's a couple of things I'd like to send you. So I wish you the best. And uh, yeah, like what? Great. Anything you want to say to anybody who's listening? Like, hey, mom, I'm on the internet. Yay. Uh, <laughs> hey, mom, how's it going? No, I, you know what? My mom, she uh, she's doing a cool internet project. So I want to mention my mom. Cool. Um, she could. Let me let me pull up her website. Okay. It is called Colleen Bikes. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this up pulling out because I don't want to get the website name wrong. Yeah. It is. Ah uh, man, I can't. I'm I'm totally screwing up here. You're gonna have to edit this out. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Let's go biking.net. So my mom has a website called Let's Go Biking.net. And you hear that, everybody? If you're ever in Vancouver and you want to go for a bike ride, go see my mom's website. So she's All got right. a really cool map and it's her, it's her new project. So there you go. Great. Let's go biking.net. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the episode. In the earlier episodes, I put all of these sponsored ads at the end. In the newer episodes, they're in the middle. So if you're listening to one where it's split, some of the content before and some of the content after, uh, stay tuned and your content will come right after these messages. Otherwise, thanks for listening and please listen further to help figure out how you can help the podcast grow. Number one way, subscribe. Wherever you are listening to this, hit the subscribe button either with your finger or the mouse, or if it's the future and everything is mind controlled, do so with your mind. That way I can attract better uh, sponsors and earn more money from the sponsors that I have so I can get better content and go to better conferences. I am right now about to go to CES. For each two hour conference or so, I tend to get about four interviews That means people that I contact that I actually record and that we continue to uh, publish an episode. I contact more, but in the end, I get about four. Now, this is going to be four days, and this four-day experience is going to probably net me at least 20 interviews. Now, when it comes to other ways to support the podcast, email list is one way to support. Go to the Renman Network. What you will get is exclusive content right to your inbox. You also get to stay on top of the developments of the Renaissance Man Network. 
and you get to stay accountable in your journey of becoming a Renaissance man by being reminded of Renaissance man values and challenges that I will put out to the email list. Another way you can help yourself, oh, let me just circle back. The way you sign up to the email list is therenmannet.work slash uh, nothing, actually. The Renmannet.work is T-H-E-R-E-N-M-A-N-N-E-T dot W-O-R-K. And either click on join the newsletter or a pop-up will come up and you can just put your information in there. Now, another way is to get a journal. That is a hand-bound journal. I bind the cover of the journal with leather or another cloth you get to choose if I have other cloths available. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But either way, I have full leather, real leather covers available. Leonardo da Vinci had one of my hand-bound journals, one of the best Renaissance men out there. And the best way to cultivate self-awareness is to have a journaling habit. I did that for three years straight, missed only one day during those thousand plus days. I will share exercises where you read one. Sorry. I will share exercises where you need one. I wrote a script for myself and I can't really tell my own writing. I share exercises where you will need one. Need a journal and a journal also doubles as a sketchbook if you're looking to use it for artwork. You can get that at the store at the renmannet.org slash store. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-M-A-N-N-E-T dot W-O-R-K slash S-T-O-R-E. And as of now, they are $50. There are some, uh, if you become a patron, you get a free coupon for that. So, um... To, to segue right into that, if you want to support the podcast on a financial basis, what you can do is become a patron. It's at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash the Renman Network. T-H-E-R-E-M, sorry, R-E-N-M-A-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. And any anywhere from five to a hundred or more dollars a month, what that will do is that will allow me to do this for more of my time, I'll pay for my time. I will be able to buy better recording equipment, and I will be able to go to better conferences like the one I'm going to next week. Now, I thank you for listening to these uh, these sponsored messages by my uh, for my my projects, and I encourage you to support this podcast in any way you can. Subscribe, uh, sign up to the newsletter, buy yourself a journal, do yourself a favor for your own development, and support the podcast. Allow me to create better content for you by going to our Patreon. Uh, Without further ado, here is our sponsor for this episode. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Just to remind you of some ways you can support the podcast. First of all, subscribe. Second of all, you can... um, you can join the email list. That's at therenmannet.work, T-H-E-R-E-N-M-A-N-N-E-T dot W-O-R-K. Click on join the newsletter. You can also buy a journal that's on the shop at the Renman Network. So therenmannet.work slash shop, or sorry, slash store, S-T-O-R-E slash store. And also you can support the podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Renman Network. T-H-E-R-E-N-M-A-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. Hope that you enjoy yourself and stay tuned for the next episode.